Hey, Barry, my mic got broke backstage. There's no clip on it. I blame, I don't know who I blame, I guess myself. The last song, I was butt naked trying to get my belt undone, get it off there and get in my back pocket. So, uh, can you hear me? Awesome. It's going to be a good day today. Let's pray real quick. Now I'm irritated. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I hate microphones, Father. Be with this message. In Jesus' name, amen. The last week of the Summer of Rock, the last week of our Bon Jovi series. Man, I've enjoyed this series. We've got to cover just a variety of topics during this series, and I'm excited about today's message. It is going to be one of those days I can already tell. I'm wound already up this morning. Wasn't here last week. I've had a hell of a two weeks. Mine's not ready to preach today, but man, it's going to be fun. We're going to be good. We're going to get through this. If we don't get through this, guess what? We get to do it again in seven days, so it is what it is. Wrapping this series up today, we start a new series next week, a new series called Real AF. Real AF. I just thought it was time to do a confessional series, if you will. We're not Catholic, but confession is good every now and then. And so I, as your pastor, over the month of September, am going to be confessing some things to you that might not be very pastoral. Like, for example, one of the weeks I'm going to talk about, I really stink at praying. Not really what you want to hear from your pastor, but I'm going to be talking about how I work through that. I'm going to be talking about the fact, if you're a first-time guest today, you're probably deciding right now that you're never coming back here again. One of the weeks I'm going to be talking about, I really just don't like people. Not what you expect from your pastor, but it's going to be a fun series. Real AF, I'm going to get about as raw and about as relevant as you can get. But that's starting next week. This week, we've got to get through this message. And we're talking about one of my favorite Bon Jovi songs ever. It's my life. Talking about we get one shot at this amazing thing called life. There are no do-overs. There are no comebacks. You don't know how long you have to do this thing called life. And the reality is most of us live our life simply going through the motions. We waste the awesome gift we have called life. And at the end of our life, we look back over our life and we wonder how we got where we are, because the reality is this, everybody, every single one of us ends up somewhere, but very few of us will end up somewhere on purpose. We kind of just float down the river and let the waters of life take us where we want to go or where they want us to go, and then we wonder why at the end of our life we feel so unaccomplished in life. We wonder why we live a life of regret. We wonder why we live a life of wondering, what if? It's because we don't capitalize on this amazing thing called life. There isn't a person here today who isn't somewhere in life. Shocking. Every single person here today has been on some type of journey, and you are where you are. The reality is, though, very few of you where you are, 
is where you want to be. Very few of you are where you are today because you had a plan, you had a design, you worked that plan and the plan worked. The reality is very few of you, if you were to be honest today, are where you want to be in life. You're very few of you are where you thought you would be in life. But here you are. Now the question becomes, what do you do with it? (laughs) For the large majority of us, where we are and where we want to be are worlds apart. Everybody ends up somewhere. Very few people end up somewhere on purpose. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I want to live a life just simply going through the motions. If uh, most of us were honest today, we would say that we're living a life that we never intended to live. We've fallen into what society says is the way life ought to live. Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, come home, have dinner, go to bed, Groundhog Day, boom, do it over again the next day. The large majority of us go to a job that has no meaning and no purpose, a job that we hate, to make money, to pay for things we don't need, to impress people we don't like. Welcome to the American dream. The large majority of us waste our life living in the past instead of living in the present. Let me repeat that. I said the large majority of us live our life living in the past instead of living in the present. The good memories, the good times are yesterday instead of today. Or we screwed up in the past or somebody did us wrong in the past and we live there instead of capitalizing on the fact that you got out of bed this morning. I've been up today since about 2.30 this morning, staring at the ceiling, watching the ceiling fan go around. I tried to count how many times my ceiling fan can go around in 60 seconds. It moved too fast in the dark for me to figure it out. But the reality is laying in my bed next to my snoring wife at 2.30 in the morning, I had more fun than most people have awake because I love life. There's not much good you can say about me. Matter of fact, there's a lot bad you can say about me. Someone sent me a message. They said, man, I've never met anybody who's a bigger a-hole. They didn't use the word a than you. I can't argue. I am. They said, I've never met anybody that's more opinionated, dogmatic. Boom, boom, guilty, guilty, guilty. I'm all the things you've heard. But in spite of all that... Man, I am a lover of life. I have never understood not just making the most out of life. I've never understood wallowing in your filth and wallowing in your stink. When I've lost everything at 33 years old, was homeless, living in someone's basement, I still knew, man, life is left to be lived. But we live in a day and time of the walking dead. We have no fire about us. We have no motivation about us. Instead of thriving in life, the large majority of us are simply surviving in life. We scream from the rooftops, it's my life and my rules! And yet we live life like the walking dead. We scream that we're alive, but we live life dead. And the reality is that's not the life that God intended for you to live. God created us, don't miss this, God created us, to live a life of passion, 
God created us to live a life of purpose. God created us to live a life of vision. Let me ask you a question. I know it's church, and it's hard for people to be honest in church because the fakest place in the world is church on Sunday morning. But let's try to be honest today. How many of you say, Gary, I would love to end up financially free in this life. I don't owe anybody anything. I'm totally debt-free. I can give generously. Where God, hey, I'd love to have my finances to the point that I can do whatever I want to when I want to. How many of you be honest and say, that's me? I mean, that's me. Boom, one, two, raise hands. Man, how many of you say, Gary, one day I would love, I'd love one day to be in great physical shape, Gary. That way, if I got invited to go swimming, I wouldn't have to come up with an excuse or not take off my shirt. You say, I'd love to be in shape, healthy. I just love to be healthy. Because what, what is in great shape is debatable nowadays. I'm not sure what we say is great shape is great shape, but you just love to be healthy. Your body not hurt all the time. You be able to function in life. How many of you say, Gary, I, how many of you that are, in, in, uh, I'm not going to say this because you're, you're with your spouse today, and that means you have to say it's, it's a bad relationship. So don't raise your hand. Just think it in your head. Boop, shoot up your hand in your head. You say, Gary, I'm in a relationship, but I would love my relationship to be a healthy relationship, a, a relationship of communication, a, a relationship of growing, and I don't have that. The reality is, the large majority of us are living life wishing it was something else. Yet we're wonderingly, aimlessly trying to get there. We think that we're going to get to a place of health, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, physically, uh, relationally, that we're just going to drift into that place instead of being purposeful in getting there. Gary, I'd love in my walk with God to be so close to God that I know that I'm delighting Him in all that I do. That when people see me, they see Jesus. It's funny, we think all these things for our life, but we think they just happen. And then when we see people achieving what we want to achieve, instead of saying, man, they were purposeful and they put in the work, we chalk it up to, man, it must be nice, that was luck. You know the kind of breaks that we, we love to explain away the health of others. Well, of course they're in great physical shape. It's genetics. That's my That's Gary Lamb, real AF, Gary Lamb, number one. Of course it's genetics. We've got a friend, do we not? I've got a friend. Probably the most in-shape person I know. And by in-shape, I don't necessarily mean some big muscle head that couldn't run two seconds. I mean, he's in shape. And literally the other day I called and said, what do you need some at McDonald's? I said, you're at McDonald's. Yeah, you know, only eat once a day. I said, so you chose me. Well, I was just hungry, man. I got three Big Macs. What? Like if I look at a Big Mac, I gain five pounds. I come home and say, I'm done. It's just genetics. It doesn't matter what I do. You know, we love to explain away. other. Of course they've got money. You, you, know, you know whose son he is. You know. We, we love to explain away success instead of saying, man, people put in the work to get there. The reality is, and I want to make this promise to you, and I promise we're going to get to the Bible here in a minute, you can end up in any place you want to end up, but you'll never get there by accident. You'll never stumble upon success. Everyone ends up somewhere, but very few people end up somewhere on purpose. 
The reality is, for the large majority of us today, today's the day we need to make the decision that we're going to start living, we're going to start thriving instead of just surviving. Today's the day, Gary, that that I'm going to make the flip in my life and I'm going to live the life I was created for. It's not going to be the life of going through the motions. Um, It's not going to live the life anymore of living life less than what God created me for. I am not going to live the life. Hello, some of you in relationships that are not married yet. You need to quit settling because you're so afraid of being alone. Oh, did I say that? God. We're in an unhealthy place, so we make an unhealthy choice to match the unhealthy place and don't realize the unhealthy choice puts us in a worse place. Man, a life going through the motions, a life less than what God created us for. Because make no mistake about it today, God doesn't make mistakes. Let me make this very clear. If you don't hear anything else and you've already tuned out today, God loves you. You might not love yourself. Chances are really good you don't love yourself. It's kind of one of our faults as humans. But God loves you. He created you. He made you. He formed you. God doesn't make junk. God has a plan. But Gary, you don't know what I've been through. Let me make this very clear. And I say this from a standpoint of I don't care because I don't really care. But I also say it from a standpoint of I don't care because God doesn't care. It doesn't matter what you've been through doesn't matter what you've done. God will take your mess and turn it into your greatest ministry if you will allow him. God knows exactly what you've been through, why you went through it, and has a plan for you going through it. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, for the, we know that all things work together for good of those who love the Lord. So you had a hard time in life. You had some bad breaks. Stand in line, baby. You're not special. I'm not trying to minimize what you've been through. I'm not trying to sugarcoat what you've been through. I'm not trying to downplay what you've been through. But the fact that you've had some hard times in life literally makes you not special. It makes you normal. We've all had hard times. We could all have a pissing contest today on who's had life worse. Boom, boom, boom. It's rough. Life is hard. Life's a roller coaster. Good times come and bad times come. The difference is winners go through the bad times and come out stronger. And we have a society of losers that want to give up on life. And in the process of giving up on life, they miss out on making the most of this life. We get pumped up hearing the Bon Jovi song, This Is My Life, It's Now or Never. Yeah, it's just an anthem song. They call those anthem songs. They motivate us to action. Anthem songs take off and they pump us up because it's the life we want to live. But when the song goes away, the emotion goes away because we don't have the testicular fortitude to put in the work. That's balls for you from Pickens County. I know you're not used to big words like that. To step out and chase the life we were created for. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for our lives. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, I think it's one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I want you to look at that, and I want you to think about just the deepness of that. Where there is no vision, the people perish. You want to know why the large majority of you are living your life as the walking dead? 
You want to know why most of you are living your life going through the motions? You want to know why most of you are living your life depressed, anxiety-ridden, stressed out, knowing there has to be more than life? It's very simple. You have no vision for your life. You know why your marriage sucks? Because you have no vision for your marriage. You've got complacent in your marriage. You know why your career is unfulfilling to you? Because you got complacent and no longer trying to better yourself. You have no vision for your finances. Your finances tell you where to go instead of you telling your finances where to go. You have no vision for your friendship. So when you look around, you're around a bunch of people just like you that are stale and don't motivate you and push you to be better. But Gary, they've been with me forever. Who cares? The Bible says, well, there is no vision. The people perish. We're literally dying because we have no vision for our lives. We are the society of settling. Yet we're settling at the greatest gift we've ever been given next to salvation, life. Do you realize you got up this morning and were given another day? Do you realize that you might not be given another one? The Bible says in James, life is but a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. So I don't understand why we would waste this thing called life, other than the fact that we have no vision. I don't normally break down words in the original language, but, but this one is vital. The word vision, it literally means chauzon. Chauzon, it, it literally means, it means a dream. It says where there is no dream, the people perish. It's a revelation. It's, it's the way of knowing things could be better than they currently are. Where there is no vision, where there is no knowing that things can be better than the way they currently are, the people perish. Calzone, it's what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what motivates you to be the best. The Bible says where there is no calzone, the people perish where there is no revelation, where there is no, where there is no dream. <laughs> the people perish. That's a hardcore verse to me. People literally die, and it's not talking about a physical death. It's literally talking about an emotional death, which sometimes is sadder than a physical death. We have a group of people living their lives with no purpose. I have people all around me living their lives with no purpose, and they're like a drain. They're like a leech on me. They're moving around. They have no life about them. They're content. There's no cows on when there's no vision for a godly family. When there is no vision for a godly family, we live in a society where half the marriages end in divorce. There's no cows on when there's no vision for financial freedom. We live in the richest nation to ever exist. And yet over 80% of society lives paycheck to paycheck. There's no vision. When there is no vision to take care of your body. I don't want you to think I'm beating up on you, so I'll beat up on myself for a minute. There's no vision for a godly body. That honor God, you live in the part of the world where you have access to eat healthy and work out healthy. And Man, we don't. We let our bodies deteriorate, and then we wonder why we can't live the life we were created for because we can't even get out of bed in the morning. We stumble through life knowing something could be better but not willing to put in the work to it because we don't have a vision that motivates us to do better. 
There's no single issue I'm more passionate about. Anybody that comes here knows I'm passionate about living life. Well, there's no vision that people perish. I'm not going to waste my life. I've made some very rash decisions in my life based on the fact that I refuse to go through the motions. I grew up with a dad who stressed my entire life. If you don't do anything in life, just do something you love. He used to ask me all the time, if money were no object, what would you do with your life? I'd tell him, he said, then go do it. It's funny, I didn't listen to hardly anything my dad told me growing up. But I listened to that. I gathered a group of leaders in my last church together, and I asked them that question one time. I said, if money were no object, what would you do with the rest of your life? And I fully expected in this group of men who I thought wanted to change the world, I expected answers like, man, I'd start an orphanage, or man, I'd make sure no one went homeless, or I'd make sure no one was hungry. Man, I would start a place for those that were with addiction. I would devote my life to X, Y, Z to make the world better. But instead, almost every one of them gave answers like this. If money were no object, I'd have a bigger house. If money were no object, I'd get a boat. Money were no object, I'd travel all over the world and take vacations. And let me make this very clear. There's nothing wrong with a bigger house. There's nothing wrong with a great vacation. There's nothing wrong with a boat. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But when that's the goal, you have no vision and the people perish. When your vision is material things instead of internal impact, you live a life that's lacking. Do you really think that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son who shed his blood, died and rose again, so the greatest dream in your life could be to go to Disney World on vacation? No. You have no chazon, you have no vision. And you're perishing. When there is no chazon, people stumble through life, making it up as they go along. They have no purpose. And the problem is we have a generation that's grown up like that and we're teaching the next generation the same thing. We have loser parents raising loser kids. That's not very nice. I'm not a very nice guy. Told you that when we started. It's not my job to be nice. That's a mistake about pastors. It's not my job to be nice. Nowhere in the qualifications of a pastor do I see be nice. It's my job to teach the Word of God. My job to love you. You know, I can love you and not be nice. I've learned an amazing thing. You know, I can love you and not even like you. Now, luckily, I like all of you. So I stick around 10 years now. The reality is I stick around because no one else would have me and you wouldn't have anybody else. And so we're just kind of in this crazy train marriage. I dig it. Where there's no vision, the people perish. (laughs) We need to get a vision for our life if we want to make it our lives. If you look through all the greats in the Bible, from Moses to David, if you look at Esther, if you look at Paul and Nehemiah, over and over and over and over, you'll see a group of people who changed the world, but their their changing of the world started when they got a vision, a chazon for their life. Because the opposite of this is where there is a vision, the people thrive. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Gary Lamb version, where there is vision, the people thrive. I don't know about you, but I want to thrive in life. And by thrive, I mean I want to be exactly where God told me to be. 
I want to be right smack dab in the center of God's will. Even if that's the most dangerous place on earth, that's where I want to be. There is no vision. The people perish. All these different people, as you study them out, and I've studied them out over and over and over, I see four unifying characteristics of vision for your life. They're they're not open for debate today. There's sometimes I preach and I'm open to debate. They're not open for debate today. I'm not even going to argue with you. I'm not going to debate with you. There's nothing you're going to say that convinces me something different. I think vision is that vital for our lives. And if this group of people right here ever got a vision for their lives, this city would never be the same. If this group of people ever got a vision for their lives, this group of people would never be the same. We'd see marriages that were stronger than ever. We'd see careers that were stronger than ever. We'd see people breaking the chains of addiction and no longer being bound to their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. Because the problem is when there is no vision, the people perish. They cling to their hurts. When there is no vision, they cling to their habits. When there is no vision, they cling to their hang-ups and their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups take control of their life instead of them controlling those things. It's okay to have hurts. It's okay to have habits. It's okay to have hang-ups. It's okay to have a dark side. We all have a dark side. The difference is we have to control those things and not let those things control us. Because when they control us, it leads to death, spiritual death, emotional death, relational death, physical death in some cases. That's the power of a vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. (laughs) We'll hang out in Acts chapter 20 today, and let me give you a little context for the chapter. We're 20 minutes in, and that was just the introduction, so buckle up. I hope the crock pot's on low today. So what happens when I'm not here one week. In this portion of text, Paul is ministering in a town called Ephesus. This is a place where he had started a church. He was crazy about this place. He loved Ephesus. He totally loved the people, as you'll read. He loved the ministry. Paul was happy. Paul was content. Paul could have stayed in Ephesus the rest of his life. But God began to stir in him that it was time to move. God began to work in him that it was time to move. My prayer today is that God begins to stir in some of you. But God begins to move in some of you. God begins to make you realize, man, you were created for more than your experience today. He he realized God was calling him to something bigger. He realized that God was calling him to something new. God was calling him to something different. And with sorrow because he loved these people, with sorrow, he gathers the elders together. The people that he had blessed with spiritually and started this church with, he came in, he said, it breaks my heart to tell you this, but God's calling me to something else. He opened up, he said, I'm supposed to go, it's time for me to move on. And God began to birth a bigger vision in Paul. And here's what I want you to know. Some of you are going to listen to this message. I'm no stupid preacher. I know the large majority of you are going to let it go in one ear and out the other. That's just the curse of preaching. But some of you are going to listen to what I tell you today, and it's going to change your life. 
Some of you, God's begun, is going to begin to move in you to bigger things. He's going to take your relationships to the next level. He's going to take your career to the next level. He's going to take your friendships to the next level. He's going to take your finances to the next level. Some of you today, if you will allow God to work in your life, you're going to go from here to a whole nother level, and it's going to be life-changing. And for the first time when you hear Bon Jovi sing, it's your life, you're going to be able to throw your hands up in the air and sing it with passion, knowing you're living your life because it is your life. You, won't know, you will no longer sing the song because you wish it was your life. You'll sing the song because it is your life. <laughs> but the problem is some of you are going to have to say goodbye to where you are to get where God wants you to be. Some of you are going to have to leave your comfort zone. Some of you are going to have to cut people out of your life to go where God wants you. You say, God would do that. God did it throughout the Bible all the time. You'll see Paul. Paul and John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, went their separate ways. Not because John Mark was a bad guy, not because Paul was a bad guy, but God had separate visions for their life. Sometimes you're going to have to look and cut people out of your life. I've had to cut people out of my life in the last couple of weeks. I did it with zero remorse. Zero. I'm more interested in being where God wants you. That seems heartless, Gary. I just want to be where God wants me to be. I didn't say I hated these people. I didn't say I destroyed these people. But I moved on from these people. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. And I'll be damned if I'm wasting my life. I refuse. I'm 45 years old. Ain't no way I'm making it to 90. It's not going to happen. So half my life is over. What I do know about my dad's side of the family is they're all dead by the time they're 60. I might got 15 years left. Now, I might have 45, and with technology, I might make it to 150, because I think that'd be pretty freaking cool, 150-year-old Gary. I think I'm honoring now. But I ain't wasting it. I'm not wasting one day on unhealthy relationships. I'm not wasting one day worrying what people think about the decisions I make. That goes whether they're my friends, not my friends. That goes whether or not they're my family. I refuse to waste my life. And some of you, a few selective, you will have what it takes to live your life with a vision. It's going to be uncomfortable. Look what Paul says here. He gathers the elders together, Acts 20. And now, this is Paul speaking. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now I'm leaving you. I imagine he, he's, he's choking back tears. I know what that, I, I pastored a church in Iowa that God just moved me from. I call it the church from hell. You've heard me talk about it. And as much as I hated that place, I can close my eyes and visualize telling those people I was leaving. I knew God was moving me. I knew it was the right thing to do, but it hurt. I had done life with those people for five and six years. Now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Oh, this, is, this is key right here. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what happened there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He says, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I know it's going to be rough. 
Let me tell you the biggest lie the church tells you. The biggest lie preachers tell you. The biggest lie the North American Christianity tells you. It tells you if you follow Christ, everything will be sunflowers, unicorn farts, and bubbles. Man, if you're following God, it'd be great. No, no. He said, I'm fixing to follow God. And the only thing I know that waits me is prison and hardships. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. He said, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Whoo! That's holding another level right there. He said, I hate it. I love you and I want to stay here forever. And we have a bond here at the church of Israel. But God's calling me to Jerusalem. I don't know why he's calling me there. But I know it's going to be rough. But that's okay because my only aim is to do what Christ has told me to do. And that's to make Jesus famous. Oh, BTW, that's our task. For some of you, it's different. It looks different. But at the end of the day, it's to lift up the Son of Man. Because he says, when he is lifted up, he'll, all, he'll draw all men unto him. To read this story, you'll see the four stages of vision. So you're saying, Gary, I don't know what the vision is for my life. I'm going to give you the four stages of it. I can't tell you God's vision for your life. I can't tell my wife God's vision for her life. She's her own person. But I can tell you without a doubt, these four steps will be part of that vision. The first is this, there will be the Spirit's prompting. The Spirit's prompting. And now, compelled by the Spirit... I'm going to Jerusalem. Let me break that down for you. In other words, this isn't my idea. This was the Holy Spirit's idea. Compelled by, I don't want to leave. I dig it here. Not my idea. Can I be honest with you? Ten years here was never my idea. When I lost everything at 33, I was done ministry. I was like Peter after Jesus died. He said, man, I go, I'm going fishing. He said, I'm going back to what I used to be. Xander, will you put that Proverbs 29, 18 where there is no vision verse back up, please, if you can find it. Thank you. I was done. I never wanted to deal with ministry again in my life. I started a business. To this day, I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. I didn't want to come back to this. But God's plans are not our plans. Ten years in, I'd never trade being at this. You guys drive me crazy. You make me want to drink. You make me want to fight everybody in the world. But you know what you, you, you the good thing is? You make me think there's some hope for Christianity. You make me think there's some hope for our community to realize there's a group of people that are flawed and imperfect, led by an effed up pastor, to realize it's not about all laws and rules and religiosity and this and that and the fakeness of society. God compelled me to do this. God, God had to compel you to come here. Why else would you be here? Someone messaged me this week. Do you have a kid there? I said, oh, we got something. Do you offer anything for? I was like, no. Do you do? No. Do you do? No. They said, what do you do? 
I said, we gather together on Sunday and then we serve our community. That's what we do. You can take the business of church, you can rub it on the end of your foot, you can turn that sucker sideways, you can bend somebody over, and you can shove it as far up there as it goes. I despise the business of church. I refuse to hate part of it. And I love this place for that. Impelled by the Spirit. It means bound. It means means bound, wrapped up by the Spirit. The Spirit had come along and wrapped him up to move on. Some of you haven't had your compelling moment yet, but you will. You'll have that moment when you're wrapped up by God and you're bound by the Spirit. And you will know that you can't be content and at peace. I did not say happy because sometimes the will of God is not a happy place. But you'll know you can't be purpose-filled without doing what God called you to do. When the Spirit of God pulls on you and He moves you and He tugs on you, When you think of something and think it shouldn't be that way, it ought to be this way, and you can't move away from it, that's the Spirit's prompting in your life. When there's something that says, I'm willing to move out of my comfort zone, when the pain of staying the same becomes less than the pain of moving on, then you have the Spirit's prompting. It's just something that draws you to it. They don't really have these anymore. Or maybe they, I mean, I know they do. I know there's town center, but I can't remember the last time town. But you remember back in the day when there was malls. Like when I was growing up, you went to the mall. When I lived in Decula, Georgia, we went to Gwinnett Place Mall. That was the thing we did. You'd roll up in that mall. I didn't care if you were nine or if you were 50. You walked through that mall for a few seconds and something would hit your nostrils. It was called Cinnabon. And it would waffle up into your nose, up into your brain. I don't even like cinnamon rolls. I would have no control over my body. It would just take me and guide me right there to the cinnamon roll place. That's the Spirit's prompting. It just grabs a hold of you and pulls you to where you go. And all of a sudden you're standing there and you're ordering a cinnamon roll just because you can smell it. You're bound by that cinnamon roll spirit in God's life. Last night, Christine and I yesterday went to the outlets. I've been trying to eat healthy. I've been telling you that for 10 years. But I got to the outlet, and the Holy Spirit of God began to prompt on me that Great American Cookie Company was there. You can't go to the aisle without Great American Cooking Company. We walk in, Great American Cooking Company, and man, it's slammed. I don't like to be slammed. I want to wait for my cookie. Someone jumped in front of us in line. But I was like, Lord, just wants me to have a cookie. Breathe. It's been a good day. We ain't had many good days lately, so just breathe. Don't ruin it because they jumped in front of you. You're going to get your cookie, Gary. That's what the Lord was telling me. And I got that cookie. I didn't get out of the store and half the cookie was gone. Because the cookie 
prompted me to come eat it. That's how the Holy Spirit of God is. When God tells you to do something, there's no way to get me to tell you why Action Church exists. Action Church exists because 25 years ago I went on a vacation. For the first time in my life as an adult, I went to Panama City Beach, the Redneck Riviera. I go out to eat when we get there, and I get food poisoning. I'm talking about I was so sick. I could not get out of bed. I was with someone else. They wanted to go. I said, hey, go to the beach. dude." I, I, I was so sick, I couldn't function. I said, hey, we passed a bookstore right up the road. Would you go grab me a book? At least while I'm laying in bed, I can read. I know you find that surprising that I read. This person came back with a book called The Purpose Driven Church. If you don't know about The Purpose Driven Church, The Purpose Driven Church is written by a guy named Rick Warren. Rick Warren pastors a church in California called Saddleback, and it was the first church kind of known for doing church for the unchurched. And it was kind of their game plan. I began to read this book. I was pastoring in, in Iowa, a very, 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 very traditional church. As I began to read this book, God began to change my life because I didn't grow up in church. And he began to show me, man, that you ought to do church for the unchurched instead of church for the church. And I came back home to Iowa, and I was so excited. And I got up, and in the book, throughout the book, it says, hey, if you're transitioning a church, do it very slowly. I missed that part. And I said, hey, I read this book, and it makes so much sense. And it went through Acts, and I took them through Acts, and said, here's what we're going to start doing. And we went from 300 people to 30. We were in reverse growth. And I never looked back on what my calling was. Everyone has different callings, but here, I know what my calling is. My calling is to teach in a way that those that don't do church understand. You say, what about mature Christians? Man, I hope mature Christians come here forever, but they can go read the Bible on their own. Those mature Christians really aren't as mature as they think they are anyway because they can't even get the two basics, love God and love people out of the way. But the Spirit's prompting. You've had that stirring. There was something you said, I was created for this. This bothers me in such a way, I, I can no longer stay where I am. It's called the tugging of the Spirit. And God will never quit tugging until you follow the prompting. So as you're examining what the vision is, the cow's on, where there is no vision, the people perish. What's prompting you? Now here's something else about the Spirit's prompting. You would think when God calls you to do something, it becomes abundantly clear. No, 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 no. The second step is certain uncertainty. That just lost some of you because you want it all laid out. You want the action plan step by step by step. The problem is if you had the action plan step by step by step, guess what you don't need? Faith. I don't need faith to follow God when I know every step of the way. I already know how it's going to work out. When you step out and follow God, there's certain uncertainty. It just happens. He said, now I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. In other words, I know I'm supposed to do this, but that's all I know. I'm not sure what's going to happen next. And this becomes the roadblock for so many people in following the vision because you don't have the guts to step out where you don't know. You'll experience this at different points in your life. Man, I feel God's... I've had, I literally had a guy recently. Man, I feel God's telling me to marry this chick, but what if she turns into a psycho? 
I said, well, she's a woman. I'm not saying all women are psychos, but what I'm saying is there's probably a good chance at some moment, at some time, she's going to turn into a psycho. And so are you. We're not really sure what's going to happen. I've seen it. I need assurances. There is no assurances when you're following vision. God's calling me to leave a very secure job and start a business. I need a guarantee. Tough. I need details. God's telling me to take a step of faith and start this ministry. I need details. It's compelling me. The Spirit's prompting me. But I need to know, and until I know everything, I'm never going to do it. Then you're never going to do it. I believe God will often say, I'm not going to give you details because you can't handle the details. If we knew the details, Tony, if you knew the details of starting a barbecue restaurant, looking back, how many years has it been now? If you knew what you knew now four years ago, you wouldn't have done it. You'd be on the beach, chilled. You were retired, you dummy. You were retired. He hit the goal, both of them. God said, go start something else, sucker. If he knew all the details, he'd have never done it, but it's been the adventure. You love it. How many relationships have you made from it? I saw someone the other day. My whole timeline was filled with Bucky's gas station stuff. Did everybody see all that? Freaking gas station opens up in Calhoun from Texas, and everyone's losing their mind, and they're known for barbecue. I saw a random thing. He said, I went to Bucky's. I got barbecue. I don't even know who the guy was. He said, I ain't smoking Tony's. That's pretty good. Certain uncertainty. You bought that trailer. You, I, 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 remember, I remember what the payment was. It wasn't that big, but you're like, I'm going to make this payment. You can run three of them now. Brenda kill him, but certain uncertainty. I didn't know all the details. Let me tell you something. If I knew all that ministry was going to cost me 25 years ago, I'd have never. You've got to be a fool to do this. Closest people in the world to you stab you in the back. The people that you help the most turn on you. I'd never do this if I knew everything that I know now. I need to know what I knew. I just need to know the next step. And then the next step, certain uncertainty, Paul said, I I don't know what's going to happen to me there. You have to step out into uncertain certainty, and that's where faith comes in. God's not going to show you step two till you take step one. He's not going to show you step three till you take step two. Because the problem is if you saw step two, three, and four, you might not ever want to get to step five. It's hard. Marriage is hard. But I, I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. If most of you knew now what you knew then, the large majority said, man, I, I'm not doing the marriage thing. It's heartache and pain. But if you were to eliminate that and look at you where you're at today and say, man, it's so great. Wouldn't worry about those things. But if you knew that was coming along, if you let's just be honest. If you could take away the love you feel for your children, and someone just said, This is what having kids is gonna be like, you'd be like, hey, no. That's like a prison sentence. But they're such a blessing. And hopefully you get old, they take care of us. 
I got four of them. Surely one's going to take care of me. Certain uncertainty. I'll never forget the first time that Luke got on a motorcycle with Rick. You remember? Park Village. We made him do it. He was scared to death. He was just going to ride him around the neighborhood. No, 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 no. Put him on there. Rick takes off. Luke's crying. All of a sudden, they come back, Pat. Whee! Luke's got his hands up in the air. He's having a blast. He's all excited. But he never take the first step to get on the bike. He never got to enjoy the stuff later. Oh, by the way, some of you are trying to take certain uncertainty away from your kids, and that's why your kids would never amount to anything in life. You don't want them to fail. You need to let them fail. That's how they learn. When they scrape their knee, it's okay. When they fall down, it's okay. Quit protecting them. Man, that's a different sermon for a different day. So many of you got the Spirit's prompting, but you haven't taken the first step. can't see step five because God says, I need you to get to step two. Man, God will give you a cow zone. He'll give you a vision, a passion. He'll have a prompting. We need to learn to do today what we can do in the vision. That will enable us to do tomorrow what we can't do today. Without step two, right now you're like, I don't understand how I could get through step four. I don't know. But once you get to step five, step four becomes a little easier. So there's certain or there's spirit prompting, there's certain uncertainty, there's predictable resistance. When you step out in faith, there's going to be predictable resistance. There's going to be people who don't understand the vision you have. Unfortunately, many times those will be the people closest to you. Mom who's never had the testicular fortitude to step out and do anything and is miserable in life, will try to talk you out of your vision. Dad, who's been stuck in his 9-to-5 job for 35 years, got the gold watch to prove it, and never enjoyed the job but liked the security of it, now you're talking about stepping out and doing your own thing, he's not going to understand it. Your spouse. Predictable resistance. Your friends, who don't have the testicular fortitude to step out and do and chase, they don't want you to do it because misery loves company. Predictable resistance. As you step out and put it on your calendar, you can rest assured the enemy is going to come along and try to talk you out of it. Can I even tell you that sometimes, I didn't ask him if I could tell the story, but I'm going to anyway. Sometimes it will even be people who love following vision. My brother-in-law came to me the other day, told me an idea that he's having. I think it's a genius idea. I think it fits his personality. He's going to, he's going to kill it. But when he came to me, you know what my first instinct was? I'm a visionary. My first instinct was looking at them and say, oh, have you thought about this? And, and they were all valid questions, but it wasn't the time to do it. This was the time for him to be excited and pumped up in big picture. So even someone like me sometimes can be resistant to stuff when we don't even mean to be. Not because I don't think it's a good idea, but because I care about him. I'm like, oh, well, have you thought about this? this, this, this. Predictable resistance. Look what he said. I only know that every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing. He said, I know that when I get there, I can count on. I can count on. It's going to suck for a while. I can count on that I'm not going to make money for a while. 
Christine went through a career change during COVID and so moved in this team. You've seen it. She's doing this apparel thing. First two customers we had, we lost money on. Amazing thing when you make t-shirts for people. They want them to be able to wash more than once without all the ink coming off. It's amazing. Amazing. Second amazing thing when you make t-shirts for people, they want the images to be straight. It's amazing. We lost money. It didn't go as we planned. I'm not a genius when it comes to business, but losing money is never the goal. But we learned. But now if I told you how much money we've made in a month, you'd be speechless. Because we learned. We accepted there would be resistance along the way. Paul said, I know everywhere I go, there's going to be resistance. <laughs> he said, I'm following God's will. I haven't messed up, but I know, man, prison and hardships. They're going, to, they're, they're going to throw me in prison for preaching Jesus. There's going to be an enemy that tries to stop me from doing what God uniquely called and created me to do. Anybody that follows me knows there's always an enemy trying to derail what we do here. I always like it when something new gets added, Kevin, you'll like this. So in the past, I've been called a swinger, a porn star, a porn director, a drug dealer. He only does AA meetings to be able to sell drugs to people. Uh, Embezzles money. I can go on and on and on. You've heard them all. This week, Kevin, someone on Facebook called me a white supremacist. I was like, wow, a white supremacist. Like, I'm a lot of stuff, but I'm a white supremacist. It's like, maybe always. So that turned into hundreds of comments. Who is this guy? Sounds like a horrible person. Well, he's a pastor. He's a white supremacist. Because I never knew saying, man, I don't get a vaccine makes you a white supremacist. I was, I was super confused by it. But it was awesome. Y'all were all fired up about it. Sending me messages, fighting. I'm like, who cares? I like what P.T. Barnum said. He said, talk good about me, bad about me, just spell my name right. You think I care? But I didn't get to. It's, it's taken me 20 years to get where, man, I just realized there's critics. It's okay. Man, there's going to be predictable resistance. <laughs> Moses, you got to go free the people. Pharaoh, uh, no, you're not going to do that. Joseph, I've got this great vision to be a leader. The brothers say, no, no, no. We like your coat. We don't like you. We're throwing you in this pit. Vision will always equal resistance by people who are jealous that you're stepping out. That you're chasing your dreams. Nehemiah said, I have a burden to rebuild the wall. I've got to rebuild it. It consumes me. Sam Ballant and Tobias said, you're not going to do that. We're not going to let you do it. Predictable resistance, count on it. Robbie and Susie, you're going to step out and quit your jobs and go chase your dreams in front of them. And family members are going to be like, that's stupid. How are you going to pay your bills? Well, how's it their concern? Right? It's predictable. But we act shocked by it. Why? We should know it's coming. That's what the whole word predictable means. People are going to question when you step out. Because here's the deal. If vision made sense, everyone would do it. It doesn't. It only makes sense to the people that are doing it. 
I'll tell you, when they stepped out, I was like, I didn't know them that well then. I was like, oh, so you've got a steady job? And you're stepping out to go do, because I didn't know anything about their hustle. I didn't know them that well. Guess what? They're hustlers. Making more money than they've ever made. Robbie sends me messages all the time. This had our biggest day ever. Biggest day. I'm like, how many bigger days can you have when you're making like $10,000 a day? Dang, I'm about to quit my job and go do it too. Hey, one of our biggest days yesterday. I'm preaching, not you. You tell the story. Don't make sense to us. And then they went and bought a car. I'm like, I got a car payment to go along with this. What are they doing? They're killing it. That's what they're doing. Because they had a calzone in their life, a vision, and where there is no vision, the people perish. Their, their home life is better. Their relationship life is better. They're not working hours, not going to jobs. You hate the freedom they feel. That's the power of vision. But you act surprised when resistance comes along. There's going to be critics. And if there's not critics, it's probably the wrong vision. God, i got to get done. I'm sorry. You're going to have a vision for a godly marriage, and the devil's going to come along and trip you up. You're going to have financial freedom. Refrigerator's going to break. You're going to have a vision to get in shape. I started working out with my wife this week. That's the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. Like, why would I do that? And if I'm lying, I'm dying. I walked into Family Dollar down there, and Twinkies were 75% off. Why would Twinkies be 75% off? I don't even like Twinkies. But a Twinkie that's 25 cents, I'm all in. I had to rebuke in the name of Jesus. God's going to stir in you today. And you're going to have to ignore the haters. All right, I'm done. Right here. Listen, listen, listen. Last step. <laughs> Man, the Spirit's prompting. Spirit's prompting. The certain uncertainty. Predictable resistance. Oh, man, but this is where it's good. Uncommon clarity. This is where God wants you to live. Gary, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? I get asked it all the time. I have so many that I love. But I'm going to show you one of my favorites. Acts 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of Christ. I consider my life nothing to me. In other words, you can kill me. And oh, by the way, they did kill Paul. But if I can't do this, I'm not going to do anything. I consider my life nothing. If I can only finish the race, complete the task, in other words, I can see it. I can see this uncommon clarity I have. This is why I exist. It's why I'm made. Can I tell you something? My wife will tell you this. Eight years we've been together. I love you. Don't take this the wrong way. I pray on the regular for God to release me from here. I do. All the time. God, I just want to come. Give this thing to Grady. Let me sit out there in the seat. Let me be a pain-in-the-butt church member. Uh, Take... We tried to move away. I'm telling you. I talked to Grady three. I said, hey, why don't you take it over 50% of the time? That was my plan to be like, no, sucker, I'm out. He won't let me. I know that. 
I have uncommon clarity that for whatever punishment in hell I have, this is where I'm supposed to be. I used to get angry about it. I used to get mad about it. Now I love it. I love it. I had a buddy of mine talk, talk to him this morning. Matter of fact, he had to come pick up some stuff in the back, and he said, when you're resigning from there, what do you mean? Well, he goes, all your stuff's killing it. I said, God, I said, God is this stupid thing that when he gives me careers to start and business to start, they're always really easy and flexible for me to be to keep doing this. He won't let me go. I've accepted it's uncommon clarity. Don't take this, I don't love you. I'm just saying, like, it just I just pray God will release me every now and then. But he won't, so I don't pray it anymore. You know? He won't. And I pray God just let them all leave and there'll be no one there. No, I'm just kidding. I don't say that. I pray if you haven't received that child's on yet, that vision in your life, that you'll get it where you can have this clarity. It's the most, it's the most exciting thing ever. To know that you know that you know where you're supposed to be. This stupid red carpet on Sunday mornings is where I know I'm supposed to be. If they take the building from us next week, remember we talked about it for sale? Someone asked me today, what are we going to do? I messed up today and found out someone in our church has 29 acres down a dirt road. We'll put a tent up on that 29 acres down that dirt road, and we'll have church. I don't care. I don't care. It's not about this. It ain't about this. Golly, this is the dumps. Man. We'll do what I don't care. We'll figure it out. We're not going anywhere. God won't let me. I know what I'm called to do. I'm called to teach on Sunday mornings in a way that people understand. I don't apologize for that. If you run me off, guess what? As much as I hate it, I'll go right down the road and do it again. It's what I do. It's what I do. I consider my work like nothing. I love Nehemiah, man. He has this vision to rebuild the wall. When you, when you have uncommon clarity, when the enemy comes, Nehemiah's rebuilding the wall, and Sam Ballant and Tobiah come, and they start trying to get, come meet with us, come meet with us, come meet with us. We want to talk you out of doing this. Look what he said. And I'm done. So I sent messages to them saying, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Someone wanted to meet with me the other day about my stance on some things. One of those stances was that we won't shut down no matter what. And this person was in a place of power. And they said, well, if shutdown's coming, are we going to have problems? I said, you're not going to have problems from us. We're just going to keep meeting. Well, can we meet and discuss? I said, I don't need to meet and discuss it with you. I don't need your permission. I'm going to do what we do. And if five people show up, well, okay, here's the deal. i got to be here anyway to preach live. It's an empty room. It don't matter. But do what we do. It's uncommon clarity. When you're doing what God created you to do, it just overrides everything else. I like this quote from Nick Saban. Nick Saban's the coach of Alabama. He's recruiting a guy one day. This guy was good. This is clarity right here. He looked at the recruit and said, man, we really, really want you. We 
really wants you. <laughs> this is big dog stuff. He said, but I need you to know we will win with or without you. Wow. That's uncommon clarity to the process that he has. Awesome. If money were no object, what would you do with your life? That's the Spirit's prompting. Spirit's prompting, certain uncertainty, predictable resistance, uncommon clarity. I, I close with this prayer from Sir Francis Drake. I love it. I used to have it on my wall. It says, Disturb us, Lord. We are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we've dreamed too little, we will arrive safely because we sail too close to the shore. Disturb us. Some of you have just got way, way too comfortable in your marriage, with your health, with your finances, with your walk with God, with your career. You've got way too comfortable. And nowhere in this book do you see we're called to live a life of comfort. And that's why you're lacking deep in your soul because you know there's more. It's my life. It's now or never. I'm not going to live forever. The words of the great theologian, John Bon Jovi. What are you going to do with your life? <laughs>